0: Welcome to another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket, Mike Cation and Noah Ruben joining you here as we start another week. It is Manic Monday overseas. We are both, however, here in the States. I- I'm fine with being back in the States. I'd rather you were in Great Britain right now, Noah, I have to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, I wish I was there as well. I do like New York. If I had to be anywhere else, this would be the place.
0: Yeah, I suppose, but... Gosh darn it! That grass looks so brown at this point. <laughs> I was gonna say it doesn't look that great anymore. The grass is not greener. <laughs> of course, the Coffee Cast is brought to you by New Balance. Their wares have been on display all week. Shown by Coco Gauff as well as Riley Opelka got in there, had a nice week, the big man. Uh, But Coco Gauff, of course, showing the new New Balance gear and you can visit them at newbalance.com. And Coco Gauff obviously has been the talk of tennis over the last couple of days, last week uh, into... This week here at Wimbledon, and it's it's a big deal. I you know I, I think everybody has known about her talent for so long. Noah, um, I I just think it's really exciting to have people talking about tennis um, in a very positive light. Most of the times that we've had tennis talked about in mainstream media lately, it's been so negative with what happened with Serena at the U.S. Open last year. Of course, the the situation with um, Serena at the French as well. I mean, it, it's been it's been nice to have a very positive um, talking point for the sport here in the States.
1: No, it's been incredible. I mean, I've I've spoken more about Cocoa Golf than any of my accomplishments. I, I was at the <laughs> local pizzeria and, you know, just random people. They're like, have you seen that 15-year-old? And it's just, it never happens. So to have, yeah. you know, something like this, I am more than happy to talk about it because what she's doing is one – an incredible feat for tennis and for herself but two i don't know if she truly understands the overall impact she's having on american tennis and just the idea that there's actually a spotlight now and and that's you know hopefully she uses it hopefully she grows with it and i can only assume she will but we have to help her out
0: you know i i, I am older than you obviously by like 30 or 40 years, (laughs) but I remember what it was like when um, Tiger Woods had kind of that breakout in the masters, the first time he won it in 97, just the, the feeling uh, that you would get just talking to people about the sport of golf at the time and what Tiger was doing. And I actually get that sense right now. And I don't think she's going to win this event. I, 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 it's certainly possible, but it's just amazing to see people excited and talking about the sport of tennis. And I really do hope it, it grows into something positive.
1: Yeah, it just allows for people. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing them just watching Wimbledon now. You know, not even Coca Golf yeah. is on. They'll just watch a couple of the matches, and that's what we need. That's just building that thrill around tennis again and just that, you know, wanting to watch it.
0: On the men's side, uh, obviously a lot of attention paid to Nick Kyrgios. Uh, For better or for worse, his is not necessarily on the positive side. Um, I I will say my homeowners association president came running up to me uh, the other day, (laughs) having watched Nick Kyrgios and Rafael Nadal. And he just came up to me, doesn't know a lot about the sport. And he just says, Mike, Mike, have you seen this uh, this Austrian guy, Nick something? Man, can he serve? Like, yes. <laughs> yes, he can. Uh, that is that is one thing he does. He also hits very hard at people sometimes. That seems to, for some reason, get people really upset in the sport. Um, its It's been fascinating to, to watch through this week, just a couple matches, um, uh, the emotions of fans come out for Nick Kyrgios.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, the whole, you know, hitting Nadal, first of all, didn't really hit him. I feel like I'm kind of more on the side of Nick than anything else. Yes, he should have yeah, said, sorry. That's, you know, without a doubt. But, you know, he was so far away from Nadal, he hit the ball perfectly clean. It didn't hit him. Move on, you know. And, you know, these are the things. But if, if it has Nick Kirigios' stamp on it, people are going to speak. And, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're dealing with. But I, I want to get past that stuff. And, you know, let's let's have people talk about the Americans more than anything else, especially, you know, the Query-Sangren matchup now.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. And just four American men into the fourth round, you're guaranteed now of a a quarter finalist with with Query playing Sangrin. Sangrin, I I know you've talked quite a bit with him over the last several months. Um, I I remember talking to the both of you in Tallahassee as he was uh, in his car, if I remember correctly. And and what's it been like watching him? Because I think he's a a guy who struggled a little bit with what we're going to be talking about today in in terms of happiness and and finding happiness uh, both on and off the court.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think actually I relate to him a lot. I think I know he's definitely he's taller than me and bigger than me, but our game styles are quite similar. I think you can attest to that. But this yeah. this gritty grinding and you know it's he's had major success and here's another opportunity to you know to quarter at a slam again, which is pretty incredible for a player that you know ranges around a hundred in the world. Um, but he's he's just somebody that if he's in the right frame of mind, if he has that foundation and that happiness that he has, I mean he's dangerous. He can just fight until the end and just you know bat you down until there's nothing left and that's what he's done i mean it doesn't matter the surface it seems like it seems like he will just you know grind it out and find a way to move past you and he'll he'll not let up points you know but that's just a matter of if he's willing and able to do it that week
0: so happiness is what we're going to be talking about here on the coffee cast this week um sangren's obviously tennis is an interesting um i i guess Point of discussion because I think a lot of what he's dealt with over the last two years was self-inflicted. Um, obviously, what happened with, with him and some of his retweets and likes and how that came out in the Australian Open. So those that's one I kind of want to leave on the sidelines because that's a topic for another day, um, uh, social media and, and that aspect. Um, but he's he is somebody, and I think you relate to this quite a bit as well, who has struggled to... Um, f- figure out how you want to prioritize things within your life and I know that that's something that Ash Barty has talked about quite a bit especially after she won the French and, and how she had to take time away from this sport and that's what we want to talk about today is, is where players their place priorities as they move throughout the calendar year as they move throughout their careers and what's been the biggest struggle for you over the last couple of months couple of years
1: I think the biggest issue, and I know you've been around it as well, is that there's so many voices. You go throughout your tennis career, I'm sure a commentary career, a broadcasting career, people are telling you so many things. And as an athlete, you're trying to take in as much information as possible. But the thing is, there's only a very low percentage of people that actually know what it takes or have an understanding. And there's 0% of them know who you truly are as a person and what you need. So you're going through this career and you're trying to listen to people, but I think the actual happiness gets put to the side a lot. And especially if you don't have a coach or family members that are truly supporting making sure that you're okay, this is something that's a major issue and I've dealt with it. Uh, I was lucky enough to have coaches and obviously my family supporting me and making sure that if I'm not happy hitting a tennis ball that I should talk about it and think about it. And that's why I've dealt with it as swiftly as I could. But I mean, from a young age, you're told you should be going to the Federation, you should be leaving home, getting the best training you can, make sure you're outside in heat, making sure you're getting this training done, making sure you're going this many tournaments, making sure you're eating this way. And yes, those things are all, you know, certainly important. And, you know, a lot of them will help you get to that level you want to be. But without the foundation of Wanting to wake up and hit that tennis ball without the foundation of that just pure happiness and joy in your own life None of that matters, you know, you have to build everything around it in order To have that opportunity to really dig deeper into it and work on the specifics But here I mean I can attest uh, I can speak for myself two months ago I was looking back and I was like, I'm just not happy playing the sport. Yes, obviously i want all these changes for the sport but the sport's not changing tomorrow i have to change first and i have to you know produce an atmosphere and environment in order to you know have this you know that's conducive to my own happiness and that's what i'm finding now i'm finding that people put importance on aspects that are not as important yes maybe i'm not training in florida as much because i enjoy new york but i'm so much happier being home I'm working much harder during the training sessions because I'm just happier to be here, and there's less time on the road for me. So when I go on the road, I'm just a happier person. I'm not traveling as much. So it's all these little things, and I know you've seen it, Mike. I mean you can attest to it as well that once a player has that smile on their face, stepping on the court, you're like, this could be a good day for them because no matter the adversity that comes throughout that match you know they're not going to back down you know they're not going to take points because they're just happy they're just they're just out there to play tennis and compete every point but if there's some things going on on the outside and not everything is running as smoothly and they wish they were somewhere else and this and that that's when you get like you know a set and a breakdown and that's the match when they don't even try to compete and that's yeah, it's the issue
0: breakdown. It's not even a set and a breakdown. It's a breakdown.
1: It's a breakdown <laughs> in the first set. <laughs> and you see it and you see that look on yeah. their face that says, you know, I was going to give this an effort, but since I'm, you know, I'm quickly down the match, I just don't have it in me. And that's the stuff that I'm realizing. And this is the stuff I tell parents as that are teaching, you know, kids that are juniors. Now they're trying to make it. And, and now this is what I'm, you know, trying to relay onto, you know, pros as well. I mean, here, I'll be completely honest and straight up. Before Wimbledon, I was practicing with freshmen, you know, in college and they were lower level D1 schools. Some of them were high schoolers, and I was just hitting and having fun and just playing tennis. And I qualified for Wimbledon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I haven't qualified for a slam in a few years. So what's the correlation? What, you know, was I training with the best players? No. Was I having the best conditioning off court? No. I was happy. I was ready to compete. And I went out to Wimbledon and I played tennis and I played as hard as I could. These are the issues that players deal with because they hear so many voices in their head. They don't understand that, yes, your forehand could be a little bit off. But if you're not ready to compete and you're not in the right frame of mind to find the answers and, and you know problem solve, that's it. Don't step on the court that day. I know enough players that waste tournaments, waste time when they really should be just home, relaxing, getting their mind ready because it's a waste of a tournament. It's a waste of travel. And then then at that point, it's just a domino effect and it snowballs.
0: How How much of this is the reason why, in your opinion, so many players who are in this challenger level don't ever escape because of the fact that their financial... Um, ability to have a coach have friends or family or a girlfriend travel with them Um, how much of that is related to why it is so hard to crack into the top 100 and stay there for so many players
1: it has to be one of the top three issues that does that that prevents players from breaking through it's because they have this notion that you have to play 35 tournaments a year. You have to grind them all out. You have to be five tournaments in a row and get that average. You see it all the time. The, you know, if I play five tournaments, two of them have to be okay. One may be great. Whatever it is, and that's not. I mean, when I was a junior, you know, I played a certain way. I played only x amount of tournaments a year, and I made sure I was fully prepared for them. Fully went into them. And if I lost first round, I lost first round. I went home. And I maybe played two weeks. I never played three weeks in a row. And then I went to the pros and I was like, well, this is the pros. You have to do something different. You have to change. And that's what everybody assumes. But it's not always the case. I'm going back to this idea of the junior mentality almost where I am going to prepare to the best of my ability to make sure that the two tournaments I play, I am fully mentally, physically, and spiritually ready to compete in. Because you see these challenger players will have a good week, but then they're forcing two extra weeks and they're exhausted. And then they don't fully relax and, and you know, decompress and recover for the next week. And that's, you know, four weeks without a great – a good result or average average result even. And then it keeps going. And then it's like, well, you're not really – you're hurting yourself and your body and you're not improving. And then you just see it. Then you see it. They're like, okay, here's one good result, but – I've been in England for six weeks now, and that's all I got was, you know, one good result. I don't know if you, you have something to say on this topic, but I just see it constantly.
0: It's it's tough for me because Im- immediately what pops into my head is uh, thinking to uh, thinking about Tennis Sangren specifically, um, how he made the sacrifice in 2017, this idea that he wasn't necessarily going to be happy. He was going to grind out every single challenger to make sure that he got enough points so that he wasn't going to be in challengers ever again. So it's this interesting dichotomy where I absolutely see it. I think of Francis Tiafo, and I could tell you when he was playing challengers regularly, I could tell you within five minutes what kind of match we were going to have. Right. Um, most of the time it was three sets, but that's just because Francis is Francis. <laughs> but um, you could tell within five minutes of what kind of a match you were going to get, whether it was going to be quick to the point or it was going to take forever. But Sangren is the one that sticks out for me because he made that decision that he was not going to have fun doing it. He was just going to grind it out. So it's it's hard for me because I completely agree with what you're saying and and this idea that, you know, too much emphasis is put on. You have to play. You have to play. You have to play um, and have to be out on the road have to take advantage of these opportunities. Um, But I I, I also see some guys who are able to just buckle down and, and say, I don't care if I'm happy for this next six months, six, nine months. I'm going to do it so that I get to this next level,
1: and I agree to a certain extent. But at the same time, it wasn't until he quartered Aussie that he really made that jump into the top hundred. He was still playing challengers when you know he had that year where he didn't get below a quarters of a challenger or whatever crazy result it was. Right. Um, but he didn't make that final final jump where he wasn't playing challengers. Until the Aussie result, if I, I mean, if I'm, you know, trying to remember correctly. But, yeah,
0: no, he played Champagne the in November, the year before.
1: Right, so I don't know if, you know, even buckling down, yeah, might have got him, you know, instead of 150 to 100, 95, 100, and yeah, that's great, and, you know, it got him to the main draw of a slam, but, you know, he lost those points, and he was playing Challengers this past year. So, yeah. you know, the only person that really, I know, that does it consistently and, you know, I don't know how fine he is with it because it was a Jordan Thompson. I mean, I see a very low percentage yeah. of people that can actually truly buckle down for a, an extended period of time. I'm not talking about like, you know, a Kyrgyz who goes out and he won three challenges in a row and then he skipped, that was it. I'm talking right, sure. about like a year or two years of really buckling down because most of them, they, they come back to the challengers and here you are dealing with unhappiness again. And, you know, if you're the person that continuously can put that as the forefront of your mind and your career is that i'm going to be unhappy until i succeed and that's fine Uh, i personally um have tolerated a little bit of you know that slight depression on tour and it's not a fun place to be in and I don't know how worth it it is for me, and that's a, and it's a personal thing. But at the same time, I, I've seen it in the eyes of other tennis players, and I know they don't want to accept it. But I don't know if it's worth it for them as well. And that's what, and that's why I'm trying to find, you know, a way to balance it. And obviously, you know, it was a quick success. Um, you know, this change of mentality that I had to enjoy it, and here I am. I qualify for Wimbledon, obviously. You know, I was disappointed with the first round match, but to qualify for a Slam is not an easy feat, and I did that with the new mentality. I wasn't even doing that with the old mentality. So yeah. in that case, it's more like, huh? Maybe I could get to where I want to. Yes, with a little extra work here and there, but maybe it's less than I think. Maybe it's more. Am I am I willing and able to play the weeks that I play 150%, where each and every point is given? to death, I mean, basically. And there's very few players that I think can say that they do that at this moment, and I think that's what we have to try to get to.
0: It seems like this has been something that was talked about because uh, I've seen a lot of discussion this last week about how remarkable it has been that the the big four have been on the men's side so dominant, and, and why that is, why there hasn't been somebody who's been able to break through. Um, I think it was, gosh, was it Mark Kovac who, who mentioned that those guys were the ones who grew up in a generation without cell phones, and actually that was some credence was being lent uh, you know, sent to that range. But uh, how many of these guys who are in the top 10 to say forty have the ability to pick their schedule as much as the top three have over the last several years? Um, and And nobody outside of those top three, four, maybe even in some guys into the top 10 have that ability to say, I'm going to play 15 weeks this year. Um, You you know, you don't really necessarily have that luxury to do that. If you want to be top 50 at this point in your career. So how do you balance that in terms of how, which weeks you want to play, where you want to play so that you are able to maximize it,
1: not just yourself, but for everybody else. I think you first have to have a true understanding of what you want to accomplish. I think there's more than enough players that are lying to themselves of where they want to be within tennis, where they feel they need to be, you know. And as I talk to some of the older players, I'm finding out that a lot of them are doing it for money. Some want to just be top 150, some want to be top 100, whatever it is. I think first get your expectations in order. Then you figure out, you know, what's needed in order to get to that next level. And then comes, you know, the talk, which, you know, will be for another time, of course. But are we sh- talking about, like, birds and bees? Or, I mean,
0: because <laughs> if, you, if you need me to talk to you about sex, Noah, I mean, I'm, it's a very awkward conversation, but we can have that talk.
1: No, I'm glad we're doing this in front of all of the people that are listening to this conversation. And, most importantly, my mom will be listening to this, <laughs> which I'm super excited about. <laughs>
0: But and, to get and, back, and your girlfriend. But that's beside the, That's not why you're here.
1: That's not why I'm here. Now I lost my train of thought a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no. To get back to it was now we're going back to the discussion of just, you know, fundamental issues of tennis as a whole. Now we're talking about in order to break through to the next level, you have to put yourself in a place where you can't be injured, you can't get hurt, you can't take time off, and you have to play 35 weeks a year. I mean – just brutal just brutal and because a lot of the guys can't always have it especially you know if you're you know there's always so it's let's say it's like if you're trying to make it from 30 to 10 or you're trying to make it from 130 to 100 those jumps you won't always go from quartering quarter quartering to win 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 so you have to take the average and that's when you're forced to play more and that's where the issue comes, and that's when, you know, I don't even have an answer for that right now. That's You might have to buckle down, because I don't know if you can go and just hope that, you know, from quartering and round of 16, that you'll just start winning all the tournaments that you play. And that's, that's a tough thing to ask, and that's, that's why we have all these issues with tennis, and, you know, players are forced to play the 11-month season and, and grinding out, and you have all these injuries, and you have the mental health issues, because... That's what the sport forces, that's this underlining issue that we all deal with. And that's why I've gotten to a point where I don't know if it's worth it. I wanna see where I can get to playing this level, playing this idea of tennis where I'm happy, I'm home, I'm working hard, I'm traveling to tournaments I want to, I pick it strategically and we'll see where we get to. But not all players have that luxury or want to have that luxury. And that's when tennis is not conducive for that kind of you know, lifestyle. You have
0: talked to me at times about the structure you had. You obviously do have divorced parents, but they set up a good structure for you in terms of support emotionally. Um, I know both of your parents sacrificed a lot financially as well. Um, And I think in that regard, you're relatively privileged. Um, in, in that you do have, even though it's a divorced home, you have those these two parents who care drastically, much more so, it seems, about your emotional health than necessarily your tennis health. I don't know that that's necessarily always the case. Um, it's, it's not. F- for a lot of players. And I, I wonder how, um, if, if that has not been the case, um, I there are some players who, like, as I'm saying this, are bouncing into my head, but I do not want to say it um, out loud. But how do you... Or how should federations or coaches um, set up a nice structure to, to maybe take out some of those external factors to make a player safe? Because I think I think coaches in my talks with them, that's been their biggest struggle is how to relate to a player emotionally um, without being without sacrificing results
1: it's a tricky tricky thing to do and that's why i actually almost wanted to develop something where pros are able to talk to juniors in a certain way because i think with the knowledge that you know older you know players that have played for a decent amount of time can relay the message of how important it is just to enjoy you know each and every moment because i i I, I do it as much as I can. I talk to as many parents of young kids that are trying to play tennis, as many young kids that are trying to play tennis as possible. Because I'm, you know, I was very fortunate that I, yes, like you said, I had had parents that really, truly emotionally supported me, and especially my father, who was my coach as well. But first and foremost, made sure I loved the sport of tennis, and that is nearly impossible to find nowadays, especially in the individual sport of tennis. But I try to talk to these parents and tell them, it's not gonna go anywhere if your child is forcing it each and every day. And I I talk to these coaches and I'm telling them, I'm like, you have to connect with them emotionally and you have to make sure that they know you're there for them and that it's a safe place to talk if there are issues. Because as athletes, we're always had this idea that everything we take on, we should be taking on. You know, Nothing should be spoken about, we just take it and we move on. And that's because we're athletes and that's what we have to do. But that's the issues that we and it starts very young and that's why I try to speak to as many kids as possible and shed light on the fact that if you're not enjoying it now, just wait until it becomes tougher. If you think juniors is tough, wait till you know college takes place. If you think college is tough, wait until the professional world of tennis, like futures, you know, you step into that world. There's so many issues and I think coaches have to understand how vital it is for a player to feel safe within that, you know, system because that's the only way they're gonna grow as people you know, first and foremost, and then tennis players.
0: It's a very difficult thing. And I I think to my college um, time working at the University of Illinois and seeing what the the pressure that those coaches were under um, in that aspect, in terms of they have to win, they have to produce to keep their jobs. I don't think that that goes away when you're a, a coach of a professional athlete either because you have to perform, you have to get your athlete to the next level or else you're going to be fired. I don't think a lot of former athletes who turned into coaches which most of tennis coaches are i don't think they necessarily have that ability to really have a good understanding of how much how important the emotional side is uh, in terms of making a player better on the court
1: no i i don't believe so as well and i think it becomes a domino effect you know some players didn't have the support throughout their career so they think it's not a necessity for the player they're coaching now to have that support and that's And that's got to be changed. And I think it's, you know, if I somehow find a way to work with other players to set up a system where we can speak to juniors, we can speak to coaches, have forums, have these podcasts. So people truly have an understanding that this is so important because, one, they're people first, they're people after tennis, they're people before tennis. And without them having this extreme, you know, self esteem and foundation and, and just inner drive they'll never become they'll never maximize their potential and that's why you see so many players not reaching their goals is because they're not dealing with themselves as people and that's all these mental health issues that you know combine and and that's what we're all dealing with now as pros and but it starts as a junior it starts with that you know poor foundation and I was fortunate enough to have a really strong one and I thank my family every day for everything they've done for me And I don't know if I would be the person I am without them, but not everybody has that. And I think it's a necessity, and I think it can be found within a federation if they set up a way to connect players that have been around the game and truly have an understanding of what it means to be a person first before a player. And I think that can really help.
0: My hope is that Ash Barty, the example and how she talked about how burned out she was at the age of 18, my hope is that that's one of those things that kind of resonates um, the farther we get away from her Win And just the more it's kind of takes um, a little bit of space in, in the brains of people who are up at the top of these federations to say, okay, how do we find ways so that these kids don't get burned out by the time they're 17, 18 years of age that they haven't played so much tennis internationally away from home that they still want to love the sport? as they go into whether it be college or pros and i think that's one of my biggest hopes that ash barty's win her continued success is just kind of that beacon so that people kind of see some of the mental health and happiness issues that go along with being a a top-ranked junior
1: no a thousand percent you're correct i mean you know going into wrapping it up i mean you you have coco golf who's you know playing incredibly well but here's a 15 year old that all you're doing is wishing that all her dreams come to fruition because she's so yeah. young you don't know where she can be in 10 years from now and that's why you, you know you have to be that's a really delicate situation somebody who's in the spotlight now who is you know a, a promising world number one one day and you just don't want her to burn out
0: that's exactly right well coco is going to be in action tomorrow as part of manic monday at wimbledon uh, what's the match that you're going to be watching tomorrow since you're likely not going to be watching us here in Winnetka.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't say that. First of all, all I listen to your commentary all the time because it is some of the best in the world and makes me laugh without fail. But in between the Winnetka Challenger, I will be watching a query-Sangarin matchup for, you know, I can't watch a three out of five set match because that's who I am. And just like everybody else, it's (laughs) way too long. But I will be watching at least some of it and it should be... Thoroughly exciting. Two hard-hitting guys. One's going to hit harder than the other, but one's going to move faster than the other, and we'll see who wins.
0: It it is shocking to me, frankly, to see Sang uh, doing this well. I, I just knowing where he was a couple months ago mentally, it, it just again just goes to show how how things can just change in an instant in this sport. If if you just find something that does make you happy, somebody who might make you happy. I know he has Ryan Lippman. Uh, one of the coaches at Vanderbilt, a longtime friend who's there with him. And I think that is making a massive difference for him. Maybe like having Jamie traveling with you did um, during the Wimbledon qualies.
1: Just changes everything. You're just finding peace. That's all you have to do. Find peace that allows you to go on court and compete every point. And that's what Sanger does really well. And if he's in the right frame of mind, you know, he's going to be really tough for query. And I think, you know, I don't think Sanger needs any extra motivation right now. So I'm sure he's raring to go. And, Query's gonna be bombing some forehands and serves, and yeah, I mean, we'll see what that grass, you know, looks like <laughs> and uh, how it plays. But did
0: did you know that Benoit Pair is still at Wimbledon? Because I, I gotta be honest, when I when I was looking over the order of play for tomorrow, I was like,
1: holy crap, Benoit Pair. It's pretty incredible. He was my first Grand Slam win, and yeah. you know, at the time, it was kind of rare oh. that he was top twenty in the world. But somehow has managed to stay around 30 in the world all these years while playing Benoit pair tennis. Pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, talking about somebody who, I mean, I, I can't. This is just a guess. I don't know him that well. Somebody who just enjoys himself in life it yeah, seems like. right. And just is extremely talented and just plays tennis. Wow. Yeah, and now he's here. So <laughs> –
0: He's, a, he's an entertaining dude. Uh, if you are not wanting to watch Wimbledon or if, if Wimbledon just ends too early for you, live streaming on the USTA Pro Circuit begins tomorrow. I guess we're recording this Sunday afternoon, so by the time you hear this, it might have already started, but 10 a.m. at the Nielsen Pro Challenger in Winnetka, Illinois. Bradley Klan, Matthew Ebden, Guido Andreazzi, Dennis Istomin, Jason Jung, Bjorn Fratangelo, the top six seeds, wild cards to Sam Riffis, Bjorn and Dennis Istemann and Alex Rybakov. So we will have complete action from ten A. M. until probably eleven PM Monday through I think Friday and then some semifinals and finals on Saturday and Sunday. And I believe I'm really excited that Tennis Channel is going to be airing the final on Sunday.
1: Oh, that's exciting. I mean people are not going to believe me, but I'm actually really excited to watch winneka instead of Wimbledon. I know that sounds crazy, but those matches are thoroughly more exciting um, to me. I mean I don't know why. It's just it's just different it's tennis. Because of me. It's because okay. Of me. Yes. I'm sorry. We, we rehearsed <laughs> this and I messed it up. God. We were supposed to end this on a high.
0: <laughs> you know, this is
1: this Winnetka
0: for me. Actually, um, on a side note, this is where it started for me. 2013 was my Winnetka was my first ever tournament. Really. Um, I I'd done a one tennis match in my life. It was a college tennis match, uh, Illinois Ohio State back in like 2004 or something like that. And I'd not done a tennis match after that, so like nine years, and then all of a sudden I'm in Winnetka having to do seven matches in a day. Uh, but it started for me six years ago this week, so it's it's always fun to come back here and and kind of I don't know, just it starts like a new season for me. So I'm, I'm really excited to be of back sorts. here. It is, and and you know it's it's interesting. You know, Jack Sock was. I, was he the winner or the finalist that year? And there were rumors that he was going to be here, showing up as a last-minute wild card. Uh, he is not. Uh, he's going to start restart his uh, season in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. And I, I, I by the way, people have been asking me. Uh, I've gotten a couple of Twitter questions. Where are you going to be? What's What's your schedule look like over the next couple of weeks?
1: I think I'm looking into Newport, possibly Atlanta, possibly DC, but. I think about, you know, three, four tournaments for the summer before the US Open and that's that's about it. That's what my schedule looks like. I think an Aptos Challenger thrown in there. I always like that one.
0: It's it's nice. You know I'm not gonna be there this year. Well then I'm not going. Okay.
1: Well, cool. That, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, I've i decided uh, I'm actually doing Cincinnati the week after. So I'm, I've decided I'm skipping Aptos this year to try and make sure I'm uh, spending my my daughter's birthday with her and then Cincinnati to, to work with ATP Media.
1: Oh, good for you. I'm not good enough in yeah. that tournament. So enjoy
0: it. Well, we'll see. I'll, you know, I'll see if I can put in a good word. Put for in
1: me. a good word for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, uh, Noah, enjoy your week uh, back home in New York on Long Island. Uh, my best to your parents and uh, if if you want to come in and you know fly to Chicago for the day and do some commentary, you're always welcome.
1: Yeah, I definitely won't, but thank you so okay. much for the offer and yeah. no, this was pleasurable. I really like this talk, <laughs> and I think it's super important for people to understand that you know happiness is first, and people talk about it, but not enough so. Yeah, Absolutely, this good. and if if
0: you want to continue the conversation with us, Noah Rubin thirty three on all of your social media following sites, as well as Mike C. Tennis for myself. And I know we got a lot of suggestions. Uh, we continue to write down some of the suggestions that you guys are sending us for what you want to hear us talk about, and we will continue discussing some of those big topics over the next several weeks. So for Noah Rubin, this is Mike Cation signing off. You've been listening to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Rubin, powered by Behind the racket.